not just proving the importance of the company, but proving the importance of taking good care of yourself when you're a busy person and we are all busy. It's an important point to highlight. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech podcast episode shout out goes to Abel Hernandez. Abel Hernandez, thank you so much for engaging with us on the We Are LA Tech Instagram. We appreciate you. Be sure to say hello to Abel Hernandez on Instagram at Abel Product. That's A-B-E-L-P-R-O-D-U-C-T. Tell him you found him via We Are LA Tech. Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA tech companies and talent. I'm Dave Whalen, once again, the CEO of Bioscience LA. I've uh, been guest hosting, uh, supporting Esprit, Devorah, and all the amazing tech startups, especially health tech startups in Los Angeles. So, so thrilled to be here and really thrilled to have a serial entrepreneur, Renee Dua of Renee here today. Uh, Renee, welcome. Um, so happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, go back as far as you want, but uh, would love just to hear sort of who you are and how you got to your first startup. And then we'll start talking about your second startup. Sure, sure. Well, so thank you so much, Dave, to you and your team and all of your listeners and happy holidays. I, uh, I go way back <laughs> and uh, I um uh, am on now what I guess would be my third or fourth startup. I don't know. Do you include children? Uh, I am a, a physician by training. I'm actually a, a kidney specialist. Uh, after I finished all of that uh, education and training, I went and I started my very first uh, private practice. But back in those days, which was 20 some years ago, it wasn't completely unheard of to start a private practice. Now it really is. But when I started my practice, um, I was a solo kidney doctor in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, uh, which, you know, I'm a, a registered Valley girl. Uh, that's my home. My home is Northridge. I uh, love Northridge so much. I, I go there every week to see my patients. Um, and I, uh, as I started my private practice, I grew very, very busy simply because I'm a woman and I'm fluent in Spanish. And when you practice kidney medicine, especially in a place like Los Angeles, you will not speak English the entirety of, of the day that you're seeing patients, right? So I still see patients to this day. I will never stop. Uh, but when I was practicing uh, as a full-time physician, I became very, very busy. And I, somewhere in the middle of that, met my husband and, and co-founder, Nick Desai. And uh, when we got married and decided to start having a family, Nick saw how incredibly busy I was and said, listen, you know, did, you, did it ever occur to you that you could help more people doing health tech or startups, right? And it, 
you know, I have to admit it, it, it took me a long time to wrap my head around the idea of starting a company. But when we started to try to have a family, it was so disastrous for us. And I think it is for so many people, professional or no, that uh, one night when we were coming home from an emergency room visit with one of our children, I said to Nick, you know, I'm, I'm failing at being a good wife, a good mom, a good doctor, and I've got to find a way to see patients that works for me and works for them, right? I got to get I got to get all the stuff that's in between me and the patient. And that um, that experience, like many do, led us to build a company called Heal. And Heal, which started eight years ago, was primary care in the home using software. Uh, it was a very novel concept ahead of a, a pandemic. But what we would do is we would deliver a doctor in your home for any age, children, senior. And when we got into the house, we did a full physical. And we would set you up as well with remote monitoring devices and one-touch video telemedicine so that you didn't always need the doctor in your home, but the doctor could see your vital signs or look at you on a video and say, oh, that rash doesn't look concerning. Or, you know, junior can go to school on Monday. Don't worry. You don't have to take the day off with your baby, right? We solved so many simple, easy problems at Heal, and we expanded uh, to 13 states, we saw nearly 300,000 people in house call settings. We did what was my dream, which was to deliver, deliver access to people who didn't have accessible house, uh, house call care, certainly, let alone medical care, in places like Georgia and Louisiana and South Carolina. And we uh, had about $200 million in investor capital in that company. In the last year, the Series D came from Humana. They took over operating the company. I definitely remember using uh, using Heal early on. This was kind of before. I don't even think the telemedicine aspect was you know was available at the time. It was just the house call piece. But I remember I was I was heading on an uh, international business trip, you know, on a like on a Monday, and and I was I was sick, and you know couldn't you know obviously couldn't get into a doctor, couldn't you know I think the maybe even like the urgent care was closed, and so I was like, what do I do? And I like let me let me try this this heal app. And I, I, you know, I had met, I had met Nick, uh, you know, in, in the past. And so, you know, knew about it, but it was so like, so simple and so easy and, you know, kind of like, you know, and, and, you know, I think, I think the Uber, the Uber for X, uh, you know, phrase maybe uh, fell out of disfavor, but it really was, you know, Uber for, uh, for doctors and, um, and, you know, but even before, before we go into kind of like how that evolved would love just, uh, you know, a lot of the listeners, know the tech world certainly you know are consumers of healthcare but you know there's there's a lot that goes into building what you did with with heal and i think in particular as you started to expand into different states i mean is that you know is that a huge just red tape of of licensing and credentialing and understanding kind of you know how where doctors can practice you weren't actually practicing interstate medicine right this was kind of like Georgia was Georgia, like physicians in Georgia serving patients in Georgia, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, for example, I mean, first of all, it was an enormous undertaking, right? It, it was, you, you know, an undertaking like nobody's business because in the United States of America, it's very difficult 
to practice medicine between state lines. To this day, I still have something like 13 or 14 medical licenses. And I would go and do those house calls in Georgia and New York and San Francisco. You know, I wanted to do house calls everywhere because I wanted to see what the environments were like. In Louisiana, you're driving down a dirt road to a trailer. You know, there is no uh, Wi-Fi, right? You're, you're dependent on like 5G. And I wanted to see those kinds of things and see how we could deliver an experience that could be repeated over and over the way you can go to a McDonald's in India and get the same fries, right? I wanted to build such an experience. So it, it was an enormous undertaking to, to expand in between states, to hire doctors, to get around the enormous red tape of you know, getting in network with insurance. When we first started, we were cash pay only because we wanted to prove our concept and we wanted to be cheaper than emerging care. And we wanted in the beginning to, to, you know, this is the decade of Zoom for, that was the decade of Uber for, you know? Um, and we wanted, we wanted to be flashy and sexy so that people took an interest, right? Certainly in the tech startup and the investor community, but to really deliver on the promise of HEAL, which was to deliver accessible care, right? Um, we went through gigantic struggles, some of which, you know, still keep me up at night, right? I don't, I don't know that I will ever quite recover uh, in good ways and bad ways from the monumental task it was to build that company. Yeah. And in this case, was it, uh, you know, because you, you were really doing things very differently. I don't think there was, you know, anything quite, you know, quite like it at the time. And, you know, typically at a tech, a, you know, a tech startup, tech founders, you're dealing with, I guess, uh, call it the, the traditional technology hurdles, right? Which is, you know, developing scalable technology. It's certainly fundraising and, and you went through that, but then you were also, you know, also trying to really educate or re-educate consumers about what healthcare uh, could look like. Um, and I, I'd love just to understand sort of what was, what was that process like? And in particular, um, you know, I know that, you know, Nick, Nick had been a, uh, you know, a serial entrepreneur in, in kind of the tech, you know, tech industry and sort of, you know, mark marketing, right? So I would say, uh, in my mind, Nick is kind of a uh, you know, consumer tech marketing guru. You were the the healthcare guru and understand sort of you know what were the challenges. How were the two of you able to bring those two sets of skills together to to make make Heal be the the success it was? Yeah, well, I think that's one of the blessings about being able, certainly in my opinion, being able to work with someone like Nick. He is not just a marketing and business development guru; he's a fundraising guru. Right. I mean, I, certainly here in Los Angeles, there's I can't think of anybody quite like Nick. Right. Who can raise funds and who can build a vision um, for such a forward thinking company. Before there was a pandemic, we were doing primary care virtually. Right. Um, we were doing we were doing these things. We were way ahead of a pandemic. Right. That credit goes to someone like Nick who can build such an idea. So I, I think. That, that part is where Nick comes in and where I really am in my own lane is building clinical, competent, careful medicine, right? Right now, if you're looking what, as what, at what's happened with billions of dollars invested in health tech, you're seeing a lot of point solutions. You're seeing a lot of 
nonsense that's unethical, you know, trying to make a quick buck. That is not how healthcare works, right? Healthcare is slow. It's ridiculous. Um, people are, and I've said this before when I've had the privilege of speaking, you know, to other founders at your site, right? People sit in rooms with the sole purpose of saying, no, I don't want your new technology. I don't like your new strategy or ideas. I think patients have it the way they should. I was on a call with a major insurance company and one of the doctors says, who would want a doctor to come to their house? Patients love to be able to leave the house, especially when they're older. They have no one to talk to. You know, I mean, I have listened to so many people in healthcare completely miss the mark on how to improve the experience on purpose, right? It's, it's by design. So my job is, is and was to build for patients, hand-to-hand -hand combat with patients. I'm a patient, you're a patient, our parents and children are patients. And what are they experiencing that makes their life unnecessarily difficult? And how can I make it better, right? Forget about making money, forget about spending money. You know, I have that wonderful luxury, right? How can I just make it better? That That's really where my domain lives. No, that's, that, that's, that's fabulous. And that's such a great, you know, great philosophy to have to be able to take that, you know, patient centric approach. I can see where investors would ask those questions skeptically as, you know, as kind of ridiculous as it sounds now, post pandemic, when we went through a, a phase when nobody wanted to leave the house, but, um, you know, and this is, it sounds like it was a combination of, uh, you know, a combination of, of you and Nick, but how, how did you, how did you get those initial investors sort of over that hurdle of, uh, you know, open, opening their minds to the idea that healthcare could be practiced differently and you could do it more cost effectively to you as a business, to the, the patient. And I think ultimately allowing physicians to maybe make more money for their time than they would have done otherwise. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of my favorite stories is the story of how Lionel Richie invested. Right. Lionel Richie was an investor in Heal more than once. And um, we met Lionel at a hotel in L.A. to pitch Heal to him. And he was there with his long term partner, a wonderful woman named Lisa. And when we pitched, the question was, so wait a minute, I don't have to leave my house for an urgent problem. You can protect my privacy. And I was like, that's it. You know, for someone who has a ton of money and might even have you know, a doctor on speed dial, but, you know, it's, it's not such a critical thing or, or they're not happy with that doctor, whatever the case would be for someone who has it all protecting privacy is huge. You know, you're not having to go to the Cedars ER. You're not having to wait at UCLA to find, you know, a, a, a doctor who has time for you. So when we first started pitching to investors, and keep in mind, this was a tough pitch because investors already have a doctor on speed dial. They already have the concierge experience. And so they're like, we don't care if other people have it. We have it, you know, <laughs> right? So, you know, democratizing the concierge experience, which is what I've frankly dedicated my career to, right? Democratizing a concierge experience in healthcare, once again, requires a visionary and that that is really where someone like Nick came in. And I also need to make sure to give credit to the person who headed our product and created such an easy to use booking experience where your house call was the same cost 
as your doctor's office. And we told you immediately what it costs and you were never going to get a bill, right? We were the first to do that, that notion of real-time eligibility and what you paid was what you got, you know? I think those things bore an era of transparency, you know, that now is a requirement by regulation, but then was not anything anybody had ever experienced. So, you know, with the help of Amir Hosseinpour, our head of product, and Nick, we built on a vision that we were going to protect your privacy, deliver accessibility, and you would know exactly what it costs, right? And that that from there, we were able to do some pretty interesting things. Yeah. And again, I think that was just so, uh, you know, so ahead of its time and honestly still, you know, still ahead of its time because that idea of price transparency and kind of understanding what you're going to get is honestly still, you know, we still have a long way to go, of course, which is why you were still out there, uh, you know, doing that. But just I want to, you know, dwell on you're talking about the product team and would love to understand sort of what kind of team did it take to build Heal? Because this was a big, you know, it's a big scalable app. The financial processing behind Heal, I've got to imagine, was was hugely complex. And so were those, was that whole team in Los Angeles? Was the team, you know, distributed across the country, around the world? In the beginning, we were mostly all in Los Angeles, right? And um, our head of product, our head of growth, me, Nick, we were all in LA, right? We had PR in LA. As we grew, though, it became a requirement to divide the company into three parts, right? The West Coast, the Northeast, and the Southeast. And in each division of the company, we had leadership, we had operations people, we had medical assistants, doctors, drivers, especially when you're practicing medicine, people have to be licensed in certain states. So we had all of those those things set up. Hiring for a company that forward thinking was incredibly difficult, right? Um, you couldn't just get you know random people from places like Groupon or or you know even Instacart where they're doing deliveries, right? Healthcare itself, it, it is really not easy to learn. You know, you, you, I find myself even on these podcasts when people ask me questions, I can't come up with quick answers. I end up droning about how long it takes to get licensed or credentialed. It's ridiculous, right? So hiring, and and to be fair, we made many, many hiring mistakes, you know, Uh, but it took a long time to build a team that I think helped us to scale. And frankly, it was a lot of brute force. It was a lot of brute force. As you built the, the the regional aspect as well, which you know that's probably also you know to some extent unique for a business like Heal, right? So if you're just starting a regular you know a regular app in Los Angeles, you probably could have your entire team here. You know maybe you have salespeople or something like that elsewhere. But you know you were building you know in a sense you know you were not franchising, but you were not but you were creating sort of this uh, you know replicable model that could be opened up in different in different parts of the country. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember once, I, I love this story. I was doing a house call in Georgia. I was alone because um, uh, I, I didn't have a, a medical assistant. So I was driving myself. It was pouring rain. I mean, sheets of rain. So I was swimming. I was swimming in my car, floating on a freeway. And as I'm driving, a tree came down just in front of my car. Right. And I narrowly avoided having the tree fall on my car. It fell on the car behind me. I'm so glad to be able to share that experience because when you're practicing medicine in Georgia, 
it rains and there's inclement weather and there's one terrible freeway in Georgia that you have to use to get in and out of Atlanta uh, and the surrounding neighborhoods. And it's always under construction and it's always under construction on Monday morning, right? So you need a team that understands culturally how people live in these cities, right? When you, you know, when COVID hit and we were operating in New York, we had uh, people who had no Wi-Fi and we had 5G, but they couldn't see us on video, right? Because, you know, they may not have had a smartphone. So we started calling them, you know, to screen, like, do you have any COVID symptoms? Can we come into the house? You know, we're going to call you from downstairs. Masking and and wearing all the protective gear in a in an elevator, which is how New York City is, right? All of these things become very your your deep understanding of how people live in each market. It's the key to your success. And going there fifty times isn't going to give you the same cultural understanding that living there does, right? So it's, it was very important that we had members of the team from all over there. You know, part of what I'm taking from this, which I think is such a, you know, it's a good example for all entrepreneurs that, you know, often gets missed is this idea that, you know, you, you know, you really do need to understand your customer, understand your market and sort of do the job. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, heal is a unique thing because, you know, you are a physician, you can go out there and, you know, practice medicine, but you're not just practicing medicine, you're understanding like, what's the difference between, you know, driving across town in Los Angeles versus driving a, a back road in, uh, you know, Louisiana or, or Georgia or something like that, you know, taking a subway to make a house call versus, uh, you know, driving in your car or whatever. But that's, you know, really, you know, I think in some ways just, uh, you know, a great experience to, you know, to be able to have. And I think that's part of what made the company successful. And so, you know, you mentioned you, you guys raised a ton of capital. Humana came in and now, so Humana is still operating heel as a, is it a subsidiary of Humana or is it? Uh... Yes, Heal is, is still operating. Humana is still at the helm and, you know, I'm hoping for their continued success. Got it. Got it. And are they still, are they still continuing to scale the business? So is this a, a growth, a growth play for them or more of a maintenance play? I think it's more a focus play on senior care, right? For example, Heal stopped operating in California, right? Uh, because they really wanted to focus on the senior market. So, you know, if I if I'm understanding correctly, they are in places like North Carolina, South Carolina, Louisiana, Georgia, still delivering on accessibility. And, you know, as I was um, there, we had started to enter the value based care space. We had already been operating a value based care company, but Aetna in Georgia took note of what we were doing and they gave us our very first VBC contract. And so Heal would be, you know, enjoying those contracts in addition to the Humana contracts that we had put together and trying to grow their participation from members in those states. Got it. Now that's that's exciting. And it's great, you know, great to be able to watch it, uh, watch it continue. But then how long did it take between sort of that that transaction or sort of, uh, you know, stepping away from Heal and uh, working on the next thing? Uh, was this, you know, you wake up the next morning and you want to start a company or did you take a little bit of a a break. It was pandemic, right? So at least there was, you know, you were dealing with, we were all dealing with the chaos of pandemic, but uh, what did that transition look like for you? Yeah, it took us a year to get our new company off the ground. But to be fair, I think when you're in the founder space, and especially at a company like Heal, we were running eight, 10 companies inside Heal, right? We had lab delivery, we had 
uh, imaging delivery. We had tra payer, tra you know, price transparency. We had hiring, recruiting doctors, right? We had staffing. So, I mean, right now, all you see in health tech is, you know, dozens and dozens of these little companies. We were doing all of those things in heels. So when you're running a big company like that, and it wasn't that big, it was only about 300 people as I left. But when you're running a company like that, you've always got ideas, you know, at the time, you know, when I, when I was at heel, I was repeatedly becoming a mother, right? I was either carrying a baby or feeding a baby. And I was taking care of uh, our parents, my, you know, Nick and my parents and my parents in particular have really been through a lot in the last several years. And so what I had been telling Nick is just the business of caregiving is a full-time job right? How do people do this? I mean, I run my own company. I can build flexibility. I happen to be very task efficient. How do people manage taking care of a loved one, children, parents, you know, spouse, how do they do it? And that experience certainly in the last year led to uh, the new company that we started, which Nick named for me, Renee, because what we've done is automated to some extent, the caregiving experience, right? Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, explain explain a little bit. And I, I think you're uh, you know, what you're alluding to. You know, we talk about the the sandwich generation, right? And so uh, you know, we've got uh, you know a, adults who are you know still figuring out their their lives. They're figuring out how to you know how to raise their children. And you know, with with two kids, I get you know it's you know ra raising children is a constantly changing, constantly challenging story, right? As soon as you learn something about one of your children at one of their ages, they, you know, they grow up a little bit and you have to learn things again, but you're doing that while, you know, while watching our, our parents get older and understanding how we can manage that. So this is the challenge that a lot of adults are going to have. And so what was the, you know, what was the process to sort of build a business around, around that? So the, the most important part of what we've had to do in building Renee is prove a concept once again. People are so used to sitting on the phone for an hour booking an appointment or not going to pick up their medications or not taking their medications, you know, forgetting their medications that they don't, it doesn't even occur to them that there is a better way, right? It's kind of like before I had a cell phone, I used to rush to get to a phone somewhere so I could make a call. You know, it didn't occur to me that, you know, this thing should be coming with me. I shouldn't be going to it, right? And so where we are in Renee is, proving this notion that if you actually have a personal health assistant, right, or, or an, a digital caregiver, so much more will get done for you that your health outcomes will improve. And it's once again, that notion of democratizing a concierge experience, right? When you have a lot of money, you call your doctor and you say, I want a pack. make sure it gets to my house, right? Not every, first of all, you don't need that experience necessarily, but you know, let's, agree that there are plenty of people with diabetes and high blood pressure who I talked to a member today, you know, of Renee, who is using us because she doesn't have a ride to go pick up her medications and her pharmacy in her neighborhood doesn't deliver. Right. So I think this notion of democratizing caregiving and using software to do it, it's novel. It hasn't been done. The hook for Renee, why people would sign up is the very first thing we do when we meet you and you start your subscription is we deliver you your generic medications. So if you're taking five medications and we cover them, 
included in your subscription is your medications. And once we know what medications you take, we are able to power your medical reminders, your refills, your appointments. We know that you need X, Y, and Z lab, or we know that you're 50 and you're due for a mammogram. We'll get that scheduled for you. So the personal health assistant is powered by the delivery of those medications because it tells us a lot about what you might already be going through as a patient. This doesn't replace the primary care physician, but how does it, uh, you know, how does it work or who, it sounds like that everyone could use this, but what is the target, the, you know, the target consumer right now? Right now, the target consumer is someone who is aging with chronic medical problems, right? So 40 or 50, high blood pressure, diabetes, depression, you know, anxiety. We, we cover a lot of those generic medications. And so a member can sign up on our website and start using us. And I think the same member might say, well, I don't know that I really need the personal health assistant until they see us start making those appointments and ensuring those refills and ensuring those medications are are taken and we're documenting that they're taken, right? The facts that come along with, wow, you're on, you know, warfarin, you should not be taking that with grapefruit juice. You know, those kinds of little things that we do to enable a very touchy feely experience. We always have human oversight as well, right? If you're not getting what you need from the Renee app experience, then we always have a human who can call you and does call you once a week and says, hey, how's it going? I want to hear how you are. Um, on our roadmap, too, is really cool stuff like, you know, camera enabled uh, vital signs. We can see your blood pressure. We can figure out what your hemoglobin A1C is. We can listen to the sound of your voice and know that you're anxious or depressed and route you to a mental health uh, specialist, right? So I think there are many, many things on the roadmap for Renee that once again, coordinate and tie together what a personal health assistant does using a lot of software and integration. And again, we always will have humans because we know humans should should feel trust. And sometimes that can only be done with a human interaction. Right. Uh, really, really, really interesting. And so you're you're building another uh, another healthcare services business. It's got technology. You're you're working with insurers. It sounds like you're working with uh, you know you're working with healthcare professionals. How much of this is is essentially leveraging everything that you learned with with Heal? And you know where I'm going with this is you know are some of the same people? Obviously you and Nick, but are are some of the other same people involved? And is this kind of a way to you know, do the next version of what you maybe could have built with Heal. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Amir, our head of product then is our our head of product now. And, you know, we, the three of us are like a, you know, pyramid. We work together really well. We have hired new people from an engineering perspective. We have brand new investors from an institutional perspective. It was very important to me to change up certain things uh, that we did at Heal that I didn't want to do again. For example, having a lot of institutional capital versus, you know, angel investors that I think was a uh, a real game changer. I, you know, I happen to have a real love for our investors. Mucker and Fika are here in LA. The other part of what I think we have done differently this time, right? Uh, not the same is we're not providing care. We are enabling care. 
right? And that was a very important distinction I wanted to make from running heel. It was backbreaking hiring all those doctors and retaining all those doctors and paying all those doctors and looking at the quality of all those doctors. And, you know, I am a doctor, so I loved those people. You know, my heart bled for them. Um, it's hard to run a business when your heart's bleeding for people, right? Um, it's it's hard to maintain that objectivity. So this time around, I wanted to make sure we're not a provider. I think it's a really important distinction because when you're enabling care, you can make sure things happen, but you're not going to necessarily have all the controls in good ways and bad ways. And where I'm going with this is, you know, there are tech companies that are in the news now every single day for abusing the provider relationship, right? Which is shameful, you know, uh, you know, running these pill mills is, is on the top of my mind right now, especially since we are in the medication space. And when you are not doing things in a compliant fashion, you obviously can hurt and damage your business and damage patients' lives more importantly. And that's very important to me. I love the idea of being able to, you know, learn and, you know, take, you know, take some stuff that you want, try some things differently. Yeah. Mucker and Fika, those are, you know, awesome, you know, awesome organizations and they're, they're local organizations, right? I think there's a strong, strong sense of Los Angeles in, you know, in your investors. And, but this is a business that by, by design uh, already is a, a national business as, a, as opposed to Heal, which you had to, methodically expand the footprint, This someone can use this anywhere, correct? Yeah. Our pharmacy partners are licensed to dispense medications all over the country. We are not the pharmacy, right? We have multiple partners. When we're working with insurance companies, we can work with their pharmacy partner. We can work with Optum's pharmacy, right? Or Aetna's pharmacy. So we made very sure to be agnostic to how we can deliver these medications and that we're not the pharmacy. Got it. Got it. So I, I, it, yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, you're able, you're able to build a, a business that's going to reach more people more quickly by in some ways doing less or, or doing, you know, doing, you know, great with the things that you want to control. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And then, you know, giving up those responsibilities to the organizations that already, already have those businesses. You know, is this something you want you want listeners to try right now? What's the you know, what's their process to get signed up? Absolutely. So you can sign up right on Renee.com, R-E-N-E-E.com. Um, my friends are signing up their parents, which I think is an awesome use case, right? And if you take more than one medication, sign up, right? You can reach me on LinkedIn anytime. My email is R-E-N-E-E at Renee.com, right? Um, you should feel free to reach out to me. And if you do sign up, share any feedback on what you think would have been better or, or what was great. Um, I think, you know, this is for anybody who is either sick or worried about someone that is sick, right? My, As I said, my target audience is people who are aging and have more than one medical condition, but I'm worried about caregivers too. I'm a caregiver and my parents use it. It's actually taken a lot of a load off of me. When I talk to my father, he says, you don't need to worry about it. Me and you know, my concierge, we've got it figured out. So leave me alone, you know, which I, I never thought I'd hear. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and just from that, from that use case, is this something where um, your father, like, do, do you have access to information about the, about the relationship that your father has with the concierge? Are you able to kind of be a, 
a, a secondary administrator in a sense, or is it is it not going down that path of uh, sort of having family caregivers involved? No, it is actually internally we call that caregiver, right? I'm sorry, care circle. So I'm a part of my father's care circle, as are his doctors, as is my mom, and we're actually building out a caregiver experience as well. So I'll be much more aware. But for example, I can reach out to his concierge, and his concierge can share with me because they have my father's permission. Got it. Now I, I love I, I love you know tools that allow that, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that in healthcare. Or we need to because. Uh, um, you know, people want to know what's going on. Uh, is this also something, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of, you know, medication and sort of the, um, you know, the, the side effects or, uh, you know, risk areas. Your tech, is it is it working with things like like HealthKit or Google Health to understand other vitals or other data? Or is that something you're, you're looking at down the line? We're looking at. So remote monitoring is it's is once again another company right that will be inside this company but integrating with apple health for example is on our roadmap and it's a really important thing because we don't want people buying software to work with renee we want to use what they have and incorporate what they have into workflows that are proactive and preventive if we know that one of our members is using an apple watch and it keeps recording that their blood pressure is elevated, we want to be able to say to them, you know what, you're taking three medicines and you're adhering to three medicines. Let's proactively make you an appointment with your doctor to figure out if you need a different medicine or a fourth medicine, rather than just making you wait for four months before you see your doctor again to figure this out, right? So we want to incorporate data rather than make people buy more supplies and more junk that will end up being broken later. You know, we're trying to use what they have. That's really exciting. And I think, you know, you, you, your point about what happens in between that appointment, you know, every four months or, uh, um, you know, in, in, in my case, every, every year or whatever, if, if, if that, right. So it's, if you have, if you have the data to be able to help make recommendations and, uh, and do it in a way where it's not, uh, you're not practicing medicine, you're just, uh, pointing out, pointing out patterns in the data that allows someone to ask a question to their physician or ask a question to the concierge who can then say, talk to your physician about this. I think that's, that's a great, great direction for healthcare. You and Nick have launched two, you know, very busy growing companies over, you know, less than 10 years. Uh, you're, you're raising kids. Um, how do you stay, how do you personally stay sane, stay happy? Um, you know, is it, is it, and is it easier or harder doing that when you're, um, when your dinner table conversations are about the the business as well. Yeah. So the dinner table conversations mercifully are not about the business as well, right? Nick and I are good about keeping work to work. Of course, we do talk about work at home, but when we're with our kids, they have amassed enough force that that's not going to be a viable uh, option. Right? But another thing I, I have done very differently this time in this company is I've dedicated time to sleeping better. Right. And when I sleep better, I think better. And then when I sleep better, I exercise more. You know, I put a treadmill under my desk and I walk while I work, which has been a game changer. You know, I went through a lot to have children. I put a lot of weight on to have children. I'm working on losing that weight in this company, which I think, you know, some people would be like, well, how do you have time? Right. I'm constantly merging tasks so that I can fill out a spreadsheet and I can walk on a treadmill. 
I can make dinner and I can, you know, put my phone down for 30 minutes to make sure my kids are fed, right? This time around, I'm doing things differently such that I am taking good care of myself. Um, you know, you said something that I I want to pick, pick out, which is right now you're seeing a doctor once a year. I too have been mostly healthy. And then suddenly I went to the doctor this year and my labs were abnormal. And that required a surgery, which you know, became a whole thing, right? If you are not tending to your personal health and if you need an assistant to do it, which is, there's nothing wrong with it, you can miss things, right? Um, and so not just proving the importance of the company, but proving the importance of taking good care of yourself when you're a busy person and we are all busy. You know, I think it's it's an important point to highlight. Yeah. And I, again, I think, you know, li life is not getting any less busy for anyone. And, you know, in most cases, technology is uh, it it's provides huge value, but it also complicates all of our lives. So if we can then take a, a technology tool and use it to really, you know, use it for good to help people be be, be more balanced, to help them understand what's going on. You, you know, you're very much on to something that hopefully everyone will realize is, uh, you know, is a key, key asset. You are a lifelong Angelino, and so uh, you know you're, you've built companies in LA. Uh, you're, you're talking about you know using your your team in LA. Any other favorite you know favorite LA recommendations? Anything uh, whether it's a, a restaurant, uh, you know, place to go, just you know something that people might not know about. So you know, I this I love this city so much. I've had the privilege of going all over the world, and I always uh, love this city. As far as what I like to do, so I'm really into theater and music. And so I do those things, right? I see concerts and I go to places like the Hollywood Bowl and the Pantages. And Nick and I, we try a new restaurant, you know, once every two or three weeks, right? Uh, we like all food. So it, the restaurant game over here is is awesome. But I think the thing I love about this city the most is the sun is out right now. You know, and when you are in the business of wellness, the fact that you can go outside at any moment and take a 15 minute walk and just have 15 minutes to yourself, I think is the thing I love about it the most. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And that's, uh, you know, we, we do have such embarrassment of riches in Los Angeles from, as you're saying, you know, food to entertainment, but also the the outdoors. And, uh, you know, it's. A lot of us take the outdoors for granted in Los Angeles, and uh, we also spend too much time in our cars and maybe don't actually pay attention to the, the weather outside. So it's, it's great when you can actually take a pause and do it. This has been terrific. And uh, I, I really want to thank you, Renee, for hanging out with uh, We Are LA Tech, the podcast. Uh, we'd love all of our listeners to continue to connect, to continue to collaborate. Uh, you shared how they can reach you. Um, but, you know, listening, you know, check out the We Are LA Tech Facebook group at wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. We Are LA Tech is on social, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, at We Are LA Tech. I will see you again really soon. Uh, you'll see a spree again soon. But uh, in the meantime, Renee, thank you so much. Uh, happy holidays, happy new year, and looking forward to watching the progress of Renee in the coming days. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks again for the opportunity. Hi, this is Renee Dua, founder of Renee. I am located in Santa Monica, California, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. 
The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.